Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. And I am Madeline. And we are Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies! We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. That is what we do. This week, The Dark is Rising by Susan Cooper. Ooh. This is the second book in the Dark is Rising sequence, mm-hmm. the first being Oversea Under Stone, which we covered some time ago. Just a just some insight into the absolute chaos of our production process. <laughs> I initially wanted to cover this at Christmas time because <laughs> it's, it's, it's a Christmas book. book. That didn't happen. And here we are. It's, it's been a wild ride these last few years. I'm sure that many people can sympathize and empathize. So And has gotten much more intense in the last few months. Um, <laughs> So this book was published in 1973. It was a noob honor book in the United States, although it is written by an English author, Susan Cooper, as you can probably tell by how very concerned with Englishness this book is. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Wasn't this one written, wasn't there a bit of a gap between this one and the prior one? Yes, an eight-year gap. So a pretty significant gap. Oversea Under Stone, I believe, was originally going to be a standalone yeah. book. Um, and then Susan Cooper realized that she had, you know, kind of accidentally already created this incredibly rich, detailed, rooted in folklore world. Yeah, it's very funny that it was supposed to be a standalone because it totally feels like a setup book to a big uh you know, just a bunch of books, a series of books. Yeah, but I also really appreciate Oversea Understone for being as what it a is. singular sibling summer adventure story, That's which true. is a class of children's and YA book that I was deeply, deeply enamored with. Well, I mean, we had a lot of uh, summer adventures. I know. Yeah, it, so. it felt true to life and made it feel like maybe the magic could creep in around our real world edges. Yes. Yeah, that's well. definitely what it felt like. This book is very different from Oversea Understone, but I'm excited to talk about both and explain why each of them, I think, is so suited to young readers. Yeah. So... Before we get into it, we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So if you haven't read this before or just haven't picked it up in a while, scamper along to your local library or independent bookstore and check it out. Before we summarize the plot, Madeline, would you like to describe how the publisher chose to package and promote this book? Indeed, I would. I actually listened to the Audible version um, and it, it like many audible editions, the 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 narrator is fantastic. Like he's he's really good. I enjoyed that very much. Uh, but the cover kind of sucks. It's very like there's not really much to work with. Versus this cover um, is uh, I think pretty great. It's very evocative. We have the um, silvery blue metallic. The dark is rising at the top. Um, and it has like little kind of Celtic details, and there's the the cross in there. Um, the the rider uh, and his like Nazgul horse <laughs> <laughs> are like whooshing yeah. by. Um, and there's a a dead tree that kind of like well, it's not dead; it's winter; it's dormant. Uh, that <laughs> I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> that is like swooping up. I really like the composition of this book. Um, I wonder a little bit if they specifically 
made it for the Newbery Honor uh, mm-hmm. medal to grace it because there yeah, is... Yeah, this is a later edition that I think came out in 2013. Okay, because again, compositionally, despite the fact that the Newbery thing is like not straight up, that always bothered me so much. It's kind of on its side. Um, well, they just kind of slap it on yeah, typically. <laughs> even though there's totally a space for it to be like perfectly yeah. put in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got Will looking like um, just the little Frodo Baggins in jeans and a hoodie. <laughs> um, and he's he's got like one of the little symbols floating near his uh, midsection. So that's his belt. One with of his signs. Yeah, with a sign on it. And he's like looking up at the writer and he has a little pink nose and you could see that his, he's got some rugged the the cold. His it's a cold book. Tinging his very cheeks cold pink. Book. Yeah, and that's very, I think the cover is very evocative in showing that. Um, I like this cover a lot. Feels like the artist has a detailed knowledge of the story. Sounds. It feels like they read the book. Thank you. That's our biggest pet peeve here at Dragon Babies when you get some wild stuff on the cover that has nothing to do with the plot. Um, And I I respect artistic process, but like, I just feel like that's necessary. Unless it's really abstract and surreal. Sure. In which case I can, I can get really into those kinds of covers. Totally. Yeah. Um, If there's artistic merit to the piece, I feel like that's what's important. I saw a cover for a new edition of um, Coraline that was just completely white with like two black smudges that look like eyes scary and uh, yeah some people were commenting and being like boo but i thought it was really cool really scary book and really evocative of the story because of the button eyes and figuring out the differences between her real parents and fake parents which are very innately tied to their eyes yeah i thought that was really cool um anyway okay separate that i already had one tangent i'm gonna have a second one (laughs) um I have been acquiring hardcover editions of all of the books that we've covered, and my husband's been ordering them. He hasn't read the book, so he's, like, picking ones he can find on eBay or from used bookstores. He's been doing a good job. He's been doing a great job. He got one um, for Wild Magic. It's fantastic. Uh, or I'm sorry, Emperor Mage by yeah. Tamara Pierce um, that has Dane talking to the graveyard hag. Um, and the graveyard hag's being all like, <laughs> the graveyard hag is absolutely <laughs> out of control. <laughs> and just like this bald, mostly toothless old woman in a white cloth, like holding her arms yeah. akimbo. Yeah. And then that's offset with Dane sitting on a bed looking completely completely emotionlessly straight ahead. It's just like so over Truly this. like nothing can phase me at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas the baby and is just like, wow. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. I do love it. I'm going to start putting them up on our Instagram, Dragon at Dragon Babies Podcast. Oh, if nice. you want to see them. I know I've been um, lazy on social media recently, but we're still, still forging ahead. So plot summary the book opens on Christmas Eve because Will's birthday is Christmas Eve, right? Not Christmas Day. Isn't it the solstice? (laughs) 
between solstice, Christmas, Twelfth Night. All these dates are very fuzzy to me. The solstice is around the 20th. I think it's like the 22nd or something. Okay. It's Christmas time. And (laughs) much like our own brother, Patrick, Will Stanton has a Christmas adjacent birthday. Tough. Yeah. <laughs> for everyone. Yeah. I've always felt a little bad for Patrick when he has his birthday party like three days after Christmas and everyone's just kind of like, uh. And Patrick got wise from an early age and began doing something he continues to this day, which is to forcefully inform us I will be getting two presents from each of you. This is what I want for, One Christmas. for Christmas. This is what I want for my birthday. One for my birthday. <laughs> which, fair, very fair. I agree. I'm glad he can stand up for his birthday. Yeah. So it's Will's 11th birthday. Will is one of seven children and he and the youngest and he and his family live in Berkshire, England in the countryside in a small town um, that's very has a very connected community. Um, And it's set in, you know, present day when the book was written. So the 70s. And Will is, you know, excited about his birthday, but some things are seeming a little bit strange this year. He is doing his chores with his brother and the dogs are scared of him and animals in general seem to not know him. And the rabbits. The rabbits rabbits are freaked out. He goes to bed and... There's a terrible storm that's really frightening and his skylight blows open and a rook feather drifts down. And throughout that night, he's gripped by this terrible, terrible fear. The next day, he wakes up earlier than everyone else in his family. It is his birthday and there's been an incredible amount of snow that fell overnight and he hears mysterious music playing Mm -hmm. and he ventures out into the world and quickly notices that it doesn't, it's not actually where he lives. Things are different. There aren't, there isn't the town. There's just a vast forest that stretches out before him. Much more like old timey magic. Yeah, maybe he's in a different, not a different place, but a different time. And he comes to a smithy's and the smith that works there is someone who he knows in the present day, but he's not sure if it's really him. And while he's there, he meets a scary rider Mm. who is on a black horse. A school horse. A Nazgul horse, thank you. That is the (laughs) technical term. (laughs) Um, And the smith gives Will a horse to ride, which takes him to some freestanding wooden doors that are just (laughs) out in the woods. So, like, lots of mysterious stuff is going on. Honestly, I think that Will does a pretty good job of dealing with what's happening to him. I agree. (laughs) Yeah, he knows that something's up. I like that... Susan Cooper doesn't waste a lot of time on the protagonist just freaking Agonizing, out. Yeah. Um, and I think recently having read um, uh, 
what are those books called? Pendragon? Yes. I, this um, made me think of Pendragon too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah because Where they spend so much, so much time. <laughs> just be like, uh, like what? The king has a birthday. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I want to be in high school instead of here, which I did not understand when yeah. I was a kid reading them. I think it actually helps that Will is a little bit younger also. More open to suggestion. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I saw one review for this book that said that it was aimed at the powerful period where a reader is advanced enough that they can handle the more sophisticated themes and prose in this book, but young enough to still be optimistic and open to all of magic's possibilities. And I think that that's really apt. Right. Like having a greater attachment to one's sense of wonder, Mm -hmm. which is something that I strive to cultivate in my own self. And access to the sublime. Right. I keep talking about my college thesis recently. That's what it was about. That's fine. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) (laughs) Spent a lot of time and energy on it. That's fine. Um, Okay. So... He passes through the doors and there is an older, powerful woman and a man whose name is Merriman. Merriman. I don't know how to say his name. (laughs) Merriman. And they tell him that he is one of the old ones, which is this mysterious, vaguely explained group of people throughout the world who are immortal. Yeah. And they are tasked with maintaining the balance between the light and dark. They are the light, the dark are the baddies. Mm -hmm. And he is actually the last of the old ones, which feels stressful to me. Yeah. (laughs) And so they've been waiting for him to complete a series of uh, very important tasks. No pressure. Yeah. (sighs) And if, you know, he can't do it, there's no hope. So the void will swallow (laughs) the universe. (laughs) That's it. That is it. So they have him kind of experiment with his mind powers, his own magic that has just awakened because it's his 11th birthday and he's the seventh son of a seventh son. It's very special. And he's able to make a fire in the fireplace. Yeah. Um, So immediately things kick off because he is, so he's told he needs to get six signs, which are these circular objects. They're each made of a different material and they need to be joined together Mm -hmm. um, to help combat the dark. They're one of four things of power. (laughs) This is where we get very Zelda. And they're, yeah, (laughs) very much so. (laughs) And they're all in a, is it called a Celtic cross? Yes. Yeah. He experiences an initial test where he hears, he's told not to go through the doors in that moment because they're telling him about the light and dark and he hears his mom crying out for help yeah. and saying, Will, Will, at that part. Very I, I listened to the audiobook for some of this, yeah. and the narrator did a really good job yeah, the narrator of was being great. a mom in pain. Will. Um, and he almost is overtaken by the dark because he opens the door, and the lady, Lady Greythorn, saves him but becomes very spent because of it. So he gets a really good upfront illustration of how powerful these evil forces are. And then Merriman is super pissy at him about it. 
Yeah. <laughs> this 11-year-old so, child. He's really funny because you know from the start that he is Gamary, Uncle Merriman from Oversea Under Stone, right, yeah. who is like a very, you know, chill, friendly figure to yeah. the children in that book. Yeah. Um, but here he's pretty stern with Will up front and then later much more comforting. Um, but Will does have a bit of a, you know, brain spasm initially and is like, I know you just told me that I'm super important, but I just want to open that door. <laughs> I don't blame him. Yeah. yeah. No, and and it's not until after he's given the grammary to read, which is a book that contains all of the knowledge that the old ones need and possess. It's a trip. It is amazing. Yeah, I, I love I really everything cool. about the grammary. It's hidden in a grandfather clock which if you touch it, getting the book out instantly destroys the book and you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you have to be very uh, operation style. Be careful. Very careful. And Merriman also put in a uh, an extra component of the spell that his manservant from hundreds of years ago, Hawken, has to also be present and you have to be touching him in order to get the book yeah, out. Hawken is um, the key. So Hawken is built into this, which is also the beginning of Hawken starting to feel unappreciated by Merriman because he's like, you risked my life. What do I get? I have to be, quote unquote, the walker because I'm spending my life just being like a key for you and yeah. getting pulled through time and then getting sent back to my time. And I feel like I'm not properly rewarded. We really don't find out that he's the walker till much later though, right? No, we don't. Yeah. yeah okay. But but okay. but we know that he has this difficult role that he's filling for Merriman. Right. Like the emotion emotional like he feels like Merriman is being shady and yeah. I mean when but, he, but Merriman is also like his uh father figure yeah, his, literally like he raised Lord. him he was an orphan yeah yeah he is everything to him um so I'm pulling some later threads in now but I think it's important it's to explain yeah. yeah so with Hawken and Merriman they pull the grammary out Will reads it he goes on the trip of a lifetime experiencing everything he the book has to offer time <laughs> he becomes a bird but then he dives into the ocean and then he's in the forest and throughout he's learning all of the old spells and knowledge and true selves of every living thing and seeing the cool. cosmos. Yeah. And it really reminds me of the moment in the Adventure Time episode. When oh my Finn God, that's exactly on, what I was thinking about. When Finn puts on the intelligence glasses. Called, like the glasses of Nerdicon or something. <laughs> and we see the... Um, shot just zoom all the way into his brain until we're at an atomic level and yeah. then the atoms become planets and then it zooms back in again and he says I get it now everything big is just a big version of something small yeah. <laughs> very similar yeah, experience we'll, exactly. put, we'll put a link to that episode on our website dragonbabiespodcast.com it's great it's very good so with the Grammarie, Will also takes on a, an immediate wisdom. Um, I thought this was pretty well done, that he so quickly goes from a regular 11-year-old boy, although he never was in a, re a regular 
11 year old boy um, to someone who fully understands the full weight of life, death, immortality. It's enlightening creating and maintaining a sense of balance. Um, but it also leads to him suddenly saying very weighty things. Like when he tells the priest that like time is tomorrow and yesterday and all of the gods together in one. And then the priest says, I don't know whether to exercise you or have a very long talk. Yeah, with and you. The priest is like, Whoa, you are an intense little kid. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. So, All of that happens, and then Will goes back to his current time, because he's also been out of time as he's been doing this. He's at a Christmas party at Lady Greythorn's house. Christmas party out of time. (laughs) (laughs) That's the theme for my next Christmas party. (laughs) Um, 300 years earlier, I think. And so he goes back to his current time, his current home, and the snow just won't stop. Yeah. He is with his family and they do some regular, you know, Christmas stuff. They go caroling. He sees Lady Greythorn and Merriman in the present day and has little like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, okay, we're working on this together. We're going to stop the dark. I'm going to find the signs. He realizes that the um, like farm girl, Maggie Barnes. The witch child. Is <laughs> a dark witch. And she is trying to get the signs from him and thwart him in his quest. Um, She keeps popping up. The dark rider from the beginning of his trip back in time shows up at his house, which is really scary. Yeah, as Um, like a family friend. Disguised as one of his dad's associates from the jewelry store that he owns and gives him a bracelet which from the start is like oh well get rid of that bracelet he's weirdly ignorant of the bracelet because they right away they mentioned that dad gets gemstones from him and i'm like oh that's bad that's really bad get get rid of those gemstones (laughs) (laughs) remove the gemstones The other important thing that happens on Christmas morning is that Will opens a package from his brother, his oldest brother, who is a sailor in Jamaica. And he has sent him a carnival mask that has antlers and then like dog features and some human features. Again, it's very pagan. Yes, and it clearly has the Celtic cross in the forehead of yeah. the mask. And everyone else is just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, the rest of the family is truly disturbed. I mean, I probably, if someone sent me a mysterious package like that, or like one of my siblings, I would probably also be like, I think we need to put you into witness protection. I, I mean, I've already started making your Christmas present out of paper mache, and let me give you a clue. There are antlers involved. It's going to so. go in the front hall. <laughs> freak all my visitors out. So he receives the mask. The blizzard, meanwhile, is just nonstop. It is Going ham. terrifying outside on a larger level, like all of southeastern England is shutting down. People are becoming trapped in their homes. And throughout this, Will is gathering the different signs, the different symbols. I'm not going to go into each one, no. but he finds them through different quests. At each point, there's danger that he has to thwart, and he's putting them all onto his belt throughout so at this point i think he has 
three or four. Um, the signs in total are the symbol of fire, water, stone, earth, iron, and bronze. And each of them is, you know, found through a place that's innate to their material. Like the symbol of stone is in the church wall and he sees it glowing when he's there because his other symbols are calling out to it. Yeah. Um, the sign of fire is in some creepy like icicle candles <laughs> that <laughs> are dark spirits that come through time. It's a whole thing. It becomes a flower and then it's a symbol. It's very complicated. And, yeah. And they go by pretty fast in addition to being quite complex because he finds all of them in this book. Yeah. It's not that uh, long. It's like an eight or nine hour audiobook, like not that long. Yeah. And there's time travel involved with a lot of them, but fortunately they're all local. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, was, that was something that to me it was, um, you know, just a reminder of like how England centric Arthurian legends in particular are. Yeah. Because also a retelling of many classic pagan stories. Yes, and we'll talk more about the folklore later, but yeah, that, that piece was just funny to me that it's like, this one's in my church. <laughs> this one's in the river. Yeah, like, no, it is true. <laughs> it's, uh, it's all right here, yeah. which helps a lot. So because of the storm, their little community is kind of shutting down. There are some older women who live alone and are getting freaked out. And everyone decides to go stay at Lady Greythorn's manor so that they can be a little safer, warmer, and together and just kind of pool their resources. Which I appreciate because that is good. Um, And Merriman is there and talks to Will and helps him make sure that he's getting all the signs. He doesn't have them all yet. Mm -hmm. Um, Then at that point his sister goes missing Mm. and his mom falls down the stairs. So it's becoming clear that the dark is getting closer to him in an attempt to distract him. And Mary, his sister has been kidnapped as collateral by the dark. And she doesn't have a bad time. (laughs) Thankfully, her brain is wiped clean and also shown that she's just on like a pretty pony ride. Yeah, she's just like, oh, hello, Will. Which is great. Like, let's, you know, block out that trauma, please. Yeah. So at this point, because he's gotten the sign of fire that like melts the weather a little bit um, helps make things warmer, but the dark still pushes through with a torrential thunderstorm. So then it's just flooding torrential rivers everywhere. And Will is, you know, just like slipping and sliding through these on a horse with old George (laughs) and is told that at this point he has the signs. It's time to find the hunter. Yeah. And he has to take the horse to the hunter and then the hunter will complete the hunt. So he ends up on a little island that's between the you know fresh streams that have been created by the right next to the Thames and the Thames is flooding. And then there are all these new rivers that have been created by the melting snow and the rain. It's yeah. a mess. And an incredible ancient ship comes aground pretty cool it is very cool (laughs) on the ship is a king who is holding the final sign yeah and will takes it he has them all and at that point the dark comes to face him and tells him that it will 
kill and the dark is embodied in the rider, the dark rider, Mr. Matothan, his <laughs> father's associate from the jewelry store. Uh-huh. And the rider tells Will that he will kill Mary if she, if he doesn't give him the signs. Yeah. And Will bluffs and says, I don't think you will. I don't think you actually have that power. And as the rider is preparing to maybe kill her, the hunter shows up. Yeah. And Will gives him the mask and he transforms into Hearn, the hunter, Mm -hmm. and has the mask becomes real, the antlers, the dog, the man, it's, it's all real white hounds with red eyes pour out of the woods don't, and they don't be on this guy's bad side they take to the sky yeah, it's wild <laughs> and chase the rider as they say to the ends of the earth yeah um so that's it <laughs> I didn't talk anymore about Hawken. He was instrumental in betraying the light side and allowing the dark to infiltrate their stronghold, which was Lady Greythorn's manor. Yeah. Um, And as we said, it was because he didn't feel that he had been treated fairly by Merriman. And Maggie Barnes lured him in and told him he could have something better if he came to the dark. And that made me think of the moment from Fellowship of the Ring when uh, the hobbits meet Strider. And they say, you know, is he a good guy? Yeah. I don't know. I think an enemy would look fairer and feel fouler. Yeah, yeah. And that's very prominent throughout the book because the dark is very seductive. It, there's like cuties Which, on the dark side and they make a lot of big promises. Whereas the light is like, we're going to grind. This is going to be unpleasant and we don't know if we're going to win and I'm not going to promise you a reward. But that's because they're being honest about the reality of existence and i liked that i think that frodo must be extremely straight to think that uh aragorn is not fair <laughs> fair. fair in in vis- visage 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 Vis- yeah visage. Um, truly i mean just a moment of appreciation <laughs> for figo mortensen is aragorn so unbelievably hot in that scene wild um, got a hood got a candle <laughs> great bone structure in the face <laughs> his hair is already unspeakably filthy yeah. and yet he's pulling it off yeah so the very end of the book is Merriman and Will saying, you know, we defeated the dark for now, but there's going to be a longer battle ahead. Yes. Yeah. And there are three more books. So that's probably what they're about. We yeah. haven't read them. Yeah. Okay. Old and new impressions. Uh, I had not read this book before Mm -hmm. um, and I really liked it a lot. It felt very, um, I mean, obviously because of the material and because of the themes and because it's very deeply rooted in this mythology, um, which it has roots that are so ancient, um, like well far back into history that like 
we remotely like don't remotely have records for except for like a lot of oral tradition storytelling and like ancient structures that we can just guess at their meaning (laughs) yeah this book specifically a lot of celtic Mm -hmm. folklore whereas some of the other books in the series are more predominantly welsh and then oversea under stone was set in southwest england in cornwall um, whereas here we're in the southeast and i like how different a lot of the background is Mm -hmm. just based on that um, slightly different geographical setting yeah there's a rich uh, mythology coming from many angles in like that area of the world so that's cool Mm -hmm. um and since the british all came and and messed with everything we do have like certain records from that because they did record histories yeah um but you know it's kind of uh biased Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. um but anyways, I, I enjoyed this book a lot. Like I said, it felt felt very old magic in mm-hmm. a way that was accessible. Like it didn't make me feel left out. Yeah. It made me feel like I could like come along with this story. Um, I thought the Hawken reveal was really great. I did not see that coming. And when we realized that this like terrible, sad, old, like broken just soul is yeah. Hawken and that yeah. he's like been moving all over the time spectrum. And, uh, he is in that loop of like betrayer and uh, friend mm-hmm. and being the end result of the betrayal, yeah. like kind of all at once. Um, and I love, he was an incredible character. He was a really cool character. Yeah. yeah I think he's my favorite character in this. Yeah. Um, I love when he's in the manor. Badass lady. <laughs> <laughs> My badass lady is the walker. <laughs> I love when he's in the manor and he's just freaking out. Yeah. And everyone else who's not Will thinks that he's a local man who is homeless, who yeah. has like mental health issues yeah. and is just like very off the grid. Um, and they, some people are really not happy that they bring him into and they're taking care of him which is is good that's right um and he's just flipping out he's screaming stuff that like only will and us understand Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. you're realizing how bad it's it's getting speaking in the old speech which everyone else use right to everyone else it's gibberish Mm -hmm. they're just like this Mm -hmm. man is like out of his mind it's not latin right i think it's something else because i was wondering if the grammar is written in latin but they never say that it's latin I bet it's an older language than Latin. Yeah. I would have liked to see female characters that were a little more active in the narrative, Mm -hmm. Um, although they certainly were there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) They were there. Funny phrase. They certainly were present. (laughs) Um, And... uh, yeah, I would have liked to see them take a little more of an active role. I understand mm-hmm. that Will's the protagonist and he's a little boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that in Green Witch, the next book, Jane from Oversea Under Great. Stone plays a big role. Great. Then we'll we'll need to read that one next um, so we can have more active um, lady warrior, just like non-male warrior representation. Mm-hmm. Uh I was happy that Mary didn't get the trauma, but it was a bummer that she just, she became like the damsel in distress character. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I just wanted to like point that out. I did still really enjoy this book quite Mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. I, and I liked the way that Merriman was like just kind of a jerk. (laughs) 
<laughs> which makes sense. So, you know, if you're like this ancient, ridiculously powerful, all seeing mm-hmm. old one, like it, it makes sense that you probably, you might lose some patience for the, yeah. the less far reaching things in life, which, you know, it's not good. You got to live in the moment, even if you're like an unspeakably powerful wizard thing mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. Even if you're Merlin, which I'm pretty sure he is. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, I didn't really think that, but that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, he does a better job than a lot of, uh, um, mentors of newly enabled magical youths in fantasy um, who don't explain anything to them and are just like, follow me, follow me, follow True, me. True, yeah. Um, I liked that Will got the grammary so early on. Yeah. Um, because I, to open his I'm mind. not interested in that narrative technique of like the young person is confused and the older person's like, not now, I'll tell you more later. Like, yeah. We've seen a lot of that in, it's a big trope in YA. Well, Um, it's a trope in fantasy period. I mean, that's Gandalf in The Hobbit. Yeah, truly. (laughs) Um, And and it's just so annoying. (laughs) Sometimes it's used to good effect, but. Yeah, like The Hobbit does use it. Like, I enjoy how that's done, but it's still annoying. (laughs) It is. But I really like that Susan Cooper was like, not only is there a book that contains all the knowledge you need, we're not going to like tediously explain it all to you. Instead, I'm going to write these gorgeous passages that very poetic give you insight into Will's experience as he thoroughly internalizes this magical book of lore and power. It's like the. (laughs) And he's going to do that right away. It's like the monolith in the, a space odyssey if the yeah. astronauts got it at the beginning. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yes. Which would make it a very different movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I did. I did like that. Yeah. Um, okay. So just to specifically articulate my old new impressions, um, I didn't read this when I was a kid. I did not read this book. Did not read this <laughs> book. I am so disappointed that the Dark is Rising series wasn't bigger in the United States. Yeah, it's really good. Um, it's really it's quite good. engaging. J.K. Rowling clearly cribbed from it mm-hmm. for Harry Potter. And uh, I saw so many um, grumpy people on the internet being like, this came 30 years before Harry Potter. Um, it's it, interesting to think about the fact that this, this book is 50 years old yeah. and it feels pretty contemporary. Yeah, it feels much more contemporary than that. I thought that there was a bigger gap. I forgot that it was it came out in the 70s. I thought it came out in like the 90s. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. And it helps that they are in like a small town in rural It's England. remote. Yeah. Um, so you so yeah, there's less them. of a press of like the type of landscape that's typically going to alert you to what year the story is set in. And it's more like I mean, cities. again, this happens in the 70s, but even for the 70s, there's really a lack of the kind of modern technology that unless it's part of the magic um, feels jarring with fantasy. Yeah, there's also, I think the power outage helped because it's like there's no TVs, they have to use radio to get any information about the storm. Yeah, Yeah, it made me think of like a mystery or a horror book where it's like, how do we dispense with the things that people use? Like, oh no, the cell tower near us (laughs) fell down and it's the only one for a hundred miles. Exactly. (laughs) Not that we're implying that they had cell phones in 1973. Well, he's a time traveler. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Um, And 
And also, like I mentioned earlier, this book and Oversea Under Stone just feel like such a classic children's fantasy pairing to me because it's very special yeah oversee under stone like i said is the sibling summer adventure with big brushes of magic and artifacts that you find in caves while people are chasing you which is exactly (laughs) the kinds of things that we would on a seaside holiday that we would make up when we we were running around in our backyard we would very successfully pretend to a point that it felt pretty real yes um like i would sometimes feel genuinely a afraid by our own creation for sure yeah Um, because and I know we've mentioned this in the podcast before but we and our brother would play we called it detectives um, but we would just take turns with one of us being essentially the writer yes um, and they would play the the DM if you will yeah yeah Yeah. and they would play all of the characters and then the other two would have to you know complete whatever quest they had been set out and the, <laughs> and sometimes the characters were scary <laughs> yes sometimes it, it got really involved yeah and when you're like tearing around your pulse is up so that yeah. really helps you get into the role-playing nature of it <laughs> we're basically larping we were like yeah. <laughs> full-on LARP. And since the age difference yeah. between it, like now it doesn't, you know, now that we're adults, six years isn't doesn't feel like much of a difference. Mm-hmm. But when we were little, it really was. Mm-hmm. So Grace's stories would be the most um, narratively sound. Because uh, this was when we were like 12... Uh, to six. Nine and six. Yeah. yeah. And then Patrick's as the young, I mean, they were great, but they were, Patrick's were fun, wild. <laughs> just a constant <laughs> oscillating door of just like wild stuff being thrown at us. Yeah. It, it reminds me of um, our, our very little sister yeah. who is seven, seven. And when we play with her, she, it's just like a frenzy. Yeah. <laughs> she wants to make soup. We make a lot of soup. <laughs> pretend <laughs> soup. Making soup involves like throwing ev- all of her toys into some sort of pot and then other characters just screaming and throwing the soup everywhere. Yeah, and they usually <laughs> do some sort of soup uh, finalizing like ritual or spell. I, I, made, I made her start doing a soup spell. Oh, okay, that was you. <laughs> that was you, of course. I was like, let's be, you know, intentional about Yeah, like soup. let's bring in something else. Let's be intentional about our soup. So anyway, Oversea <laughs> Understone really captures that magical innate childhood creativity and excitement yeah and that's really it's really personal it feels very intimate it's small scale stakes yeah yeah then the dark is rising opens everything up through time and space and civilization Mm -hmm. and yet there's still a child who's leading everything so it's like two sides of the coin of, you know, one being like you, you with your siblings, your friends, whatever, just like experiencing your own young imagined powers. Yeah. <laughs> the other one is being thrust into adulthood really yeah. prematurely, yeah. Um, pre-puberty even, and being, and, and then having that power realized. Right, immediately. Like you get the power and then it is world ending if you don't use it properly. Yeah, and it's so, Susan Cooper's writing is so beautiful. It's and incredible. I love how subtle the book is yeah. in so many ways. And yeah. like, granted, it's also, it, there are incredibly big dramatic moments. Like, <laughs> 
there was stuff where I was just like, wow, if I, if I truly visualize this, like the wild hunt flying up into the sky with the dogs just streaming behind her with the antlers and the storm just breaking all around them with torrential rain pouring past in rivers. And Will's just like, ah, it's so wild. Yeah. It's nuts. It's It's truly very, yeah. It's like religious imagery truly, which makes sense given the source material that Susan Cooper is pulling from. And my, my favorite part of, any wild hunt mythos is if there's just like this pack of magical dogs streaming through the sky after the rider like that's just like oh perfect I, yeah, <laughs> I was mentioning to Madeline before we started recording I'm like obsessed with the wild hunt now after Tamsin which yeah. by Peter S. Beagle which we also have an episode on mm-hmm. um, highly recommend that book also very like similar mythology yeah and it specifically is about the uh, origin of the wild hunt in some ways yeah, or like what the wild hunt becomes yeah um yeah really really great book um yeah similar to this one in in some ways um but set in dorset yes that's right yeah Yeah, it's just it's so cool hearn is like such a badass (laughs) i don't know what else i don't know what else to say about him and is and is a ghost that's specific to um, Windsor Forest, Great Park, where they are in Berkshire. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was first mentioned in Shakespeare's The Merry Wives of Windsor. Oh, okay. Um, and comes from local legends. Okay. Uh, yeah. So as, as soon as Will opened the mask. I got really excited. Mm. I was like, yeah, I know who that is. This is going in a good direction. (laughs) Wild hunt. (laughs) Put on the mask, Will. I love that his siblings were like, put it on. He was like, no. Like, absolutely not. (laughs) Not doing that. You want to put on this? (laughs) Yeah. Be careful what we stick our entire heads into, guys. So that's that really like brought me back in a wonderfully nostalgic way. Just remembering the way you view the world as a kid, the uh, endless yeah. possibilities. And um, I thought it was so masterfully done. Yeah. And as as is often or as is the thesis of our podcast that like adults can enjoy these things mm-hmm. too. This is definitely the kind of book that enables you to access mm-hmm. that childlike sense of wonder and magic and mystery. Yeah. Um, which we should all work on cultivating constantly because it makes life better. Yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, we've been all about a healthy dose of escapism since yeah. the beginning of the pod. That yeah. is really there our reason for creating it. Yeah. Um, and so uh, hip, hip, hooray, <laughs> dark is rising. <laughs> I, should, I should note also that... Um, it is springtime in Seattle mm. right now, and I... Not Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... I have sun problems. It, it's like some sensory issues and in addition to some bipolar issues. Um, I do like respect the power of the sun and that it gives us life like very much, but I just have personal issues when the sun is touching me or putting itself into my eyes. And so I just sounds so intentional. <laughs> it's 
It feels intentional. I know it's not. I know the sun is not doing anything to me on purpose, um, but... The sun doesn't care about you. It it doesn't. It's like an unknowable entity, uh, and I am less than an ant to it. Anyways, Seattle in springtime is so magical. Um, I grew up in the Midwest, so the green that Seattle always has, regardless of the season, is so incredible to me, and my absolute favorite thing in the spring here is just seeing everything because like you all I forget every winter mm-hmm. how green Seattle gets in the spring and summer because it's already much greener than Chicago winters ever are yes um and then when everything comes to life and uh, like all the flowers are out the cherry yeah. blossoms are blooming the azaleas are blooming it's it's expressive it's almost like vulgar and it's excess it's so intense yes yeah. There have been days in a Seattle spring when I've walked outside and thought that there was something wrong with my eyes because it's just so much. It it always makes me think of. I guess we're mentioning Lord of the Rings like five hundred times this episode, <laughs> but the color effects that in the films they did on all of the shots in the Shire, the Shire where they yeah. just cranked the saturation on all the greens yeah. <laughs> and the blues. It totally, it feels um, Shire-like. Way right. up. Yeah. Uh, that is what it looks like, but it's real. Yeah. So yeah, visit Seattle, everyone. So it's, it's just, it's such a cool time and it really brings that magical feeling. Well, and there's so much nature magic exactly present in this book. Yeah. And so that's where I feel like really the, the tie in the is. same threads. Yeah. 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 And in mentioning why this is so appealing to adult readers, that is kind of an expansion of the subtlety piece that I wanted to talk about because even though there are all of these different legends that are incorporated into the book, Susan Cooper is really not hitting you over the head with them. No, And yeah. this is one reason why a lot of Arthurian fantasy annoys me because it's just like, okay, here's the grail. Like here's Excalibur. Yeah. Um, it, it just, it feels so, obvious. yeah, it feels like so obvious. And when you have that much obviousness, it really uh, dampens it the It cheapens magic. it. Yeah. And it, may, it doesn't make it feel like its own standalone work. Yeah. It's like, okay, we're tapping into Arthur, whatever. Right. But yeah. this doesn't feel too Arthurian. It it's feels, not Arthurian fan fiction. <laughs> right. Well, and it actually in some ways reminds me of The Green Knight, the film, which we've oh, talked yeah. about a little before. Yeah. Um, because we both really loved it, the movie that came out last year. It's really, really cool. It's not for children. Um but if you are at an age where you could handle it and it would be valuable to you, definitely check it out. Yeah, highly recommend. Um, where it takes a story, makes it its own, and also just goes off in, in its own wonderful direction. There's also a subtlety in the way that the dark and the light work so that it doesn't feel too cut and dry, hmm. too uh, literally black and white. Um, <laughs> because... Dark is vague and the dark is smart. And uh, we're shown that all the appealing things about the dark, Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel so blatantly dualistic the way that a lot of books for younger readers, especially fantasy books, can be. There is very, Um, very strong delineation between evil and good. Yeah, and I like that... I like the way that we go in and out of, you know, old one 
existence and the way that they talk to each other. And then also the plain old humans that are all around them and see the way that the humans pick up on the light and dark presences. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, great segue into animals, just animals? like animals in, yeah, animals book. in this book. Because there are throngs of rooks <laughs> that are agents of the dark. Or are they? That's I mean... It's mysterious. Yeah, yeah. And they show up and just wreak absolute havoc. <laughs> just giant murders of crows. Little rook background. Rook facts. Rooks are resident in the British Isles and much of northern central Europe, but vagrant to Iceland and parts of Scandinavia. Mm. They are found in habitats that ravens dislike, choosing open agricultural areas with pasture, as long as there are suitable tall trees for breeding. Gotta have your breeding trees. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the thing. Most other um, corvus animals, mm -hmm. corvids, uh, they will avoid ravens because ravens are big bullies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so rooks are weirdos who want to be on open land for and some they reason. Have their mating trees. <laughs> yeah, and that does make them even scarier because to be like out in an open field and then just a storm of um, rooks what comes are you at do? you. Dig a hole. <laughs> I also uh, my uh, family-in-law is obsessed with the card game rook. <laughs> Um, Every time it said Rook, I was like, freaking card game of terrible ad that I always want to play. Which features a card that is the Rook and it ha it carries the most points, but it's also lowest trump. So it's really hard to take it. It's just like in spades, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then every time it shows up, it's like, <gasps> the rook! Yeah. And it carries or, a lot of fear with it, which I like. I guess it's like in hearts, not spades. Yeah, like, like in the, hearts. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the box for rook, I think, really evokes what rooks are to me. Because <laughs> on the front, it says like, it's just a card game, but maybe you feel a slight chill in the air. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? What is <laughs> I love that. Bring some um, magic to it. And yeah. it's it's a in particular a Quaker card game, right? Or at least No, it's beloved by people who for religious reasons don't play cards because it's like gambling. Don't want to use cards with the traditional suits because right. it feels too close to gambling. Yeah. Even though Rook literally involves gambling. There's just not money involved. That's a semantics but, thing. Yeah. But you bid on how many tricks you think you're gonna take. Anyway, enough about Rook. <laughs> um but I, I loved the book crooks and crooks. especially the scene where there has just been Christmas service at the church and Will finds a sign in the church and then he feels the dark's presence outside yeah. and he has to, this is something I wanted to talk about, he has to block out the brains of his brother Paul and the reverend so that they yeah. don't witness what happens and get too confused yeah. but the narrative says at that point, this is risky because Will is the only one who can open their minds back up. And if something happens to him and he doesn't do that, they'll be vegetables oh for the rest God. of their life. Oh. I was like, what? Oh, be careful. I wouldn't use Don't that. vegetize your family. Right before you head out into a dangerous battle. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, that's so frightening. It's a lot of confidence. I guess it's kind of like Merriman does, where it's like you mm -hmm. gotta be willing to sacrifice other people because the stakes are so high. I know. Oh gosh. Yeah. yeah, there there is a lot of very potent discussion of 
self-service versus your duty and then also the way that you are willing to treat your most your closest loved ones in service of the light like of life for a larger number of people and like for the earth as a whole it's a bit of a large-scale trolley problem and it is the single person on the track is your loved one (laughs) yeah and a lot more complex than in typical children's literature where like the kid always saves the family member or the friend and it actually specifically made me think of harry potter because there is so much in harry potter of like no, I'll save you instead of doing this more important thing. (laughs) Whereas here, like, like, what about your responsibilities, Harry? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Um, Here, Will offers up his sister, Merriman, openly weaves Hawkins' life into a spell to keep the grammaries safe. Yeah, yeah, there are multiple moments where there's this... you're just acknowledging how much more complex it really is than like, I'm going to save you and save the day. It's like, well, what if you can only choose one actually? I also appreciated that there were these regular farm horses from old George's farm that were like bearing the great agents of light. Uh, yeah, because they were just like very strong, sturdy horses and they're just like standing in the wild rivers that have been created by magical yeah. meteorological events. Yeah, just being like, I'm a horse. I'll take care of you. are like tanks. Yeah. Unfazed. Truly. Yeah. So let's discuss pretend food. Pretend food. There is a beverage that Will drinks at the beginning of his time with the old ones when he first goes back to the long ago party. Um, That party, I was going to say this earlier, I think it's probably because it's so uh, like English. Mm -hmm. Uh, It really reminded me of the Christmas party in the past from from a a number of play Mm -hmm. adaptations of A Christmas Carol that I've seen. Totally. Yeah, it really had that vibe. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it is literally a Christmas party, so it makes sense. But also, it it does have that vibe of, like, being out of time and everyone's, like, jolly, but there's also more important things going on. It feels very classical and everyone is dressed up in just, like, very fancy ways. Yeah, and there are, like, (laughs) figures from your past. (laughs) Like, lost relationships. Exactly, yeah. Eye contact across the room for, like, a... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I always, because of a Muppet Christmas Carol, I always think of Fosse as Fessy Wink. Fosse Wink. I, I mean this a thousand percent. That is my favorite adaptation of the Christmas Carol it's that incredible. I've ever experienced. Yeah. It's loving. It's like, so great. Yes, it has Muppets and there are silly moments, but like it's legitimately a great movie. It's a fantastic movie. And you got younger Michael Caine <laughs> Scrooge. Yeah, not, yeah, not yeah, exactly not like a young man. But that is better out forever. Yeah. And he's clearly having a great time. You can yeah. tell when an actor loves acting opposite a Muppet. Yeah, it's just Michael like Caine we. did. Um, Tim Curry definitely did. Mm. In Muppet Treasure Island, he has such yeah, a good Tim time. Tim having a fantastic time. Such a good time. Yeah. <sighs> okay, so at that party... Hawken offers Will um, 
some sort of beverage and he drinks it and is filled with astonishment by an unrecognizable taste that was less a taste than a blaze of light, a burst of music, something fierce and wonderful sweeping over all his senses at once. That was some good brandy. What is the (laughs) analog? I know, it definitely is some kind of liqueur. Um, well, it seems like maybe it's tinged with something that's not like some alcohol. absinthe. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> something like that. And uh, Hawkins says, or no, the small man—I'm not sure who this is—says uh, <laughs> Metheglin used to be the nearest name. Um, he blew into it and said, "An old one's eyes can see," and held it out. And staring into the clear base, Will suddenly felt he could see a group of figures in brown robes making whatever it was that oh he God. had just drunk. Isn't that incredible? That's wild. <laughs> that I went back and reread like five times. I was like, "This is figures honestly blowing robes. my mind." He I can if it's see, monk made. yeah, he can see the monks making yeah. this ancient beverage. Yeah. Putting their monk magics into it. So if anybody has some of that, if you could um, let us know, that would be awesome. We've got to get a P.O. box. (laughs) You keep saying that. It's really funny. It's been like every episode. episode. It's because I listen to a lot of uh, Uh big podcasts. So, of course, they're always like, thank you for sending us this. Thank you for sending us this. Yeah. There is also a mention later. Um, so Will gets to pick the food for uh, Christmas tea because it's his birthday. Yeah. And he asks for liver and... Um, liver and onions, Is right? it liver and onions? And I've, I love liver. I, I can't liver really too. eat onions. But I would... I some really nice cooked liver. Trust me, I know. <laughs> yes, it's the bane of all of we the cooks planning in my what life. to make for next Saturday. We're like, well... <laughs> Rice. <laughs> there is some mysterious bread that Will has offered when he first goes back in time. And at first he very wisely is like, I shouldn't eat that. And then later he's like, these people are nice. I'll eat it. I'm really hungry. Yeah. <laughs> there is no adverse effect. Hunger so is a good spice. I appreciated that. Um, there's also a mention of how the kids... Will's family. We we didn't get into their siblings, his siblings, because there are a lot of them, and they're um, just kind of at the fringes in this. But story. but I did feel that they were all pretty developed. Like were, you yeah. could tell that each was a person. They it wasn't just character. like big family war chaos. For sure, there is a mention that when the kids go to Lady Greythorns, they get punch. Um, and there is a great bowl of red brown punch that everyone just drains um and they say the manor's christmas punch was always delicious no though no one had ever quite worked out what went into it Mm. um and they also say that the children held their glasses solemnly to one another and drank just as they did for the christmas toast the one day of the year when they were allowed wine at dinner (laughs) it's really funny thinking about all these kids drinking wine kids getting drunk and being like "Mm, cheers yes it's very cute it really reminds me of us too of taking our like little sparkling juices of being like, no, (laughs) get some Martinelli's (laughs) New Year's baby clench a spare uh, glasses thing in your eyes, Mm -hmm. your monocle. (laughs) I really tried to get Martinelli's for this year, but I couldn't, I don't know. I couldn't find it. Um, And they also have lots of delicious breakfast, bacon, eggs, marmalade, tea. Yep. 
good English breakfast. Um, Hawkin, the walker, when he's staying with the Stantons, uh, turns away the full breakfast and is like, bread and honey, bread and honey. <laughs> the only thing he'll eat weird. um weird some comfort food i mean I've, bread and honey sounds nice though. mrs stanton cranks out a lot of delicious christmas foods uh, beautiful turkey um then when s- supplies get low they're having like tinned watered down milk which is less good <laughs> um yeah the food peters out because of the horrible storm um, but we start off with some very fun christmas feasts that yeah, i was yeah. really into yeah. and uh speaking of mrs stanton you know we're, we're going into badass ladies she's not mine but i do want to just give her a hearty a hearty mention because she takes care of a lot of people um there's one point when i got very annoyed with mr stanton when he's like yeah, Mrs. Stanton was an only child. I think that's why she had so many. And I was like, um, had by herself? Like, th- that was all her? Shut up. She <laughs> had seven children alone? You're, you, as her husband, weren't Garrett, involved in as, any way? As a Mr. Stanton aside, I really didn't like when, I didn't he, like when him he was like, <laughs> at, at all. what am I, to take orders from a butler? I know. It's like, um, he's he's a local and he's yeah, a person. He was definitely classist, um, but I also liked that the kids and the narrative like called him out. Like, immediately were like, that. shut up. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, hey. That's not cool. Merriman is cool. Yeah, like it's his job does not define his value and his intelligence. <laughs> yeah, maybe as the town jeweler, he felt like he was above them or something. Yes, that's, that's a like... But I think they've as well. been it's, it's there not, their whole, I mean, they've been there for a while. It's not like they had just moved to town more recently or anything. Like it's they weird. seem pretty much a part we don't of the like community. No, not a fan. Hmm. Okay. So badass lady meter, we select our badass ladies. We are reclaiming the term badass lady. Would you like to go first? I am going to go with my badass lady as the walker. Um, I think good, good. that he does end up, um, he gets to choose his death. Yeah. And something about his story, um, reminds me of a typically femme, uh, trajectory mm. because like he yeah, is agree. basically born into this position. Mm-hmm. Like he's fated to betray Merriman. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's very, he's, he, it's fair that he doesn't feel properly valued, um, which again is like yeah. usually a female thing where it's mm-hmm. just like they're doing what they're supposed to do, what they've been told, what they've been fated to do, and like everyone's mad at them for it and like kind of disregards them. Yeah, and he his station in life was such that he didn't really have options mm-hmm. also. Anyway, I give the walker, um, I'm going to give him... Some sort of vehicle so he can be like a horse or a car, some wings, something so that he doesn't have to walk for a thousand years. Yeah, it's just so depressing when he's just passed out in the snow when they come out of the church and they're like, oh, no. Um, and yeah, I know there's such a social rejection of him throughout the book too. They're like, oh yeah, the tramp that hangs out yeah. around the lane. And I know that he like did the evil and like there are some things that he is culpable of or like he, he's responsible for, but I still just, I don't feel like it's fair what happens to him. 
I agree. I don't think the punishment fits the crime necessarily. Right. I agree. And I do think, yeah, like you were saying, he didn't really have a choice but to be evil. And Merriman even like had some portent of portent of that. Um like seemed to kind of know that he was going to betray them. Right, exactly. Um, from the moment that even before he talked to Mackie. Yeah. And and it's just it 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 isn't it isn't fair. Like for all that Merriman says about, you know, this is how the light works, like we can't make these big splashy promises because we're just trying to keep everyone existing and like mm-hmm. keep entropy at bay. Yeah. Um, we're not going to give you something that you can't actually have because like the dark had clearly promised Hawken immortality because he had all this um just deep desire to be like the old ones and there are all these moments when Will sees that he's very envious of him yeah um for his abilities yeah and that Will just like shows up and suddenly he's the favored one and yeah he's been there all along yeah having to live like kind of he's living in the old ones world but without any of that capability or access um yeah so he's it, it, it's not it's just not right and like Hawking could never feel like good or whole never yeah. had that opportunity yeah so I really what a character like oh. I said earlier he's my favorite character and he is my badass lady nice um I am going I'm going to give my baddest lady to someone we haven't specifically mentioned yet. Um, Gwen, the oldest sister in (laughs) the family, is someone who I relate to for a few reasons. Um, Gwen keeps being like, okay, I'm helping mom with dinner. Like, could you guys all go do your chores? Or like, hey, maybe mom could get to go to church, which she'd like to do if somebody could get in the kitchen and help out. There's just like, and there are moments where she's like worried about Will and trying to help him. And you just like see all the, you know, parenting that Gwen is that doing she's getting responsible um, for because she's the oldest child. Yeah. yeah. I, and, I, I'm uh, seeing some echoes there. <laughs> Relate to Gwen. Yeah. <laughs> also another G name. I'm into it. G names. <laughs> G names rise up. G's unite. Mm. Um, and uh, I appreciate her. Um, so my rating for Gwen is a bucket of potatoes that have already been peeled. <laughs> potentially by a mischievous younger sibling. <laughs> there was a film adaptation of The Dark is Rising. Mm. Um, it was called The Seeker in the United States and The Dark is Rising in the UK. Who's in it? Anyone? Uh, Ian McShane is in it as Merriman. Okay. Other than that, not a, not a lot of um, big names. It came out in 2007 it was, um, it sounds atrocious. Ah, um, is. Will <laughs> is an American who no, has just moved what? to England. No, and they it's, were, no, it's they were British. specifically <laughs> trying to do things to not make it feel like Harry Potter. Um, it, the trailer is really bad. I'll have to check like, it out Like, literally starts with a voiceover saying, like, Will Stanton had a pretty ordinary life. Oh, and, like, no. him at school being embarrassed in front of a girl. It's just like Gooby. <laughs> it's just like Gooby. <laughs> Gooby. Gooby. Um, we'll put the trailer on our website. Uh, I do need to read this one comment on the uh, YouTube video of the trailer. 
<clears throat> from Just Joe. And this is from one month. Mo- this is from one month ago. So <laughs> he's been thinking about this recently. This movie was a travesty. <laughs> Those who were involved, the ones directly responsible for choosing and then directing its screenplay, should be ashamed. The decision <laughs> to Americanize the Stanton family was absolutely shameful. Yeah, that's really dumb. Watching this bastardization of one of the most delightful pre-Potter young adult masterpieces of literature oh was akin to a brick in the face. <laughs> Wow, this guy's amazing. <laughs> to do it true justice, any future attempt at representing what should in fact be a five-part series starting with Oversea and Understone to be shot in the magical setting of Cornwall. And dear God, if I so much as smell an American accent, I will make it my mission in life to haunt the producers. <laughs> and <laughs> Finn... <laughs> Um, Bravo. Yeah. And Susan Cooper reportedly tried really hard to get them to change a lot of elements of the screenplay. And they were like, no, we know how to make money. So yeah, it was, it was unfortunately a disaster. Um, truly a shame. Uh, Yeah. You probably won't watch that one. No, we're not going to watch this. Um, but I, I mean, I think that, it is a series that's probably pretty tough to adapt. I think Oversee yeah. Under Stone would be much easier. Um, and probably this one is so internal and metaphysical in right. so many ways. You'd and it very... sounds like the movie tried to put in a lot of action sequences. And this book actually doesn't have that many action sequences. I think it's much more suited to like very carefully. Closer. I think it's much more suited to like very carefully, um, particularly done skillfully done CGI in combo with yeah. like a forest setting. Yeah. Like that, that way you could do like cool trippy stuff. Like I've seen some really awesome, um, eco horror lately mm-hmm. where they use CGI melded with an extremely, uh, lush natural environment yeah. or think like annihilation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That kind of thing. Of, yeah. 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 That would be cool. Mm-hmm. So I think that brings us to the end of The Dark is Rising. Um, I really adored this book. It was beautiful, complex, and it feels important. And um, yeah, I encourage you to give this series of books to a young reader in your life who may not have heard of them. And granted, we're coming at this from an American perspective. Um, so it's possible they're much more well-known in Europe. I think they are yeah. from from what I've read, but they're by no means at the level. I think Susan Cooper, Susan Cooper fits into a Diana Wynne-Jones sort of category yeah. um, where they created really like fundamentally important, amazing work. It's but truly beloved by fans. But yeah, by fans. Well but has been as it should be has never gotten the limelight it deserves yeah. and um yeah i would say for kids that are into harry potter this is a great alternative <laughs> put <laughs> or, that on the cover <laughs> <laughs> it's been on so many covers i know, like, I know. You, you <laughs> so the publisher is just like yes <laughs> make that money <laughs> And we didn't get into this in our discussion because we are American, but like the books are so deeply English yeah. and like concerned with being English. And there is some funny like meta commentary on like, this is very English of us. Yeah. <laughs> and I enjoyed all of that yeah. too as an outsider. Yeah. Cause it's extremely accessible to people who are not English. That's right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, 
definitely check it out. Um, our next book is going to be Half World by Hiromi Goto. This is one of the slightly more contemporary books we're covering, although this one I think was published in 2008. So Great. it's not, not that new, honestly. So check back soon for that. We're, we actually are getting back on a regular schedule now. So nice. Um, more to come. You can find everything we've mentioned on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. On our Instagram, Dragon at Dragon Babies Podcast, on Twitter at Dragon Babies Pod, and in your good old podcast feeds. Yeah, and subscribe, like, and subscribe. And if you like weird art, uh, then check out my Instagram. Weird, cute, occult, dark, mental illness, nature, good stuff. <laughs> uh, at Pig and Doodles. That's at P I G N the word Doodles, all one word, uh, on Instagram. And uh, check out our Dragon Babies Instagram too, like Grace just said. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back soon. Hope you are all staying safe and well in these darkest of times. Yes. <laughs> and uh, until next time, <laughs> I forgot how to stop. <laughs> I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs>